Greetings, dear listeners. This week, we invited Michael Ware, President Obama's Faith Outreach Director for the 2012 election, and the New York Times' Jane Koston, who hosts the podcast The Argument, to talk about abortion and whether any grand political compromise is possible. Shadi will introduce the specifics when we get going, but I just wanted to say in this introduction that this was a really compelling and enlightening episode. As always, the full conversation is available to paying subscribers. In the second half of the show, we press Michael and Jane about the roots of their convictions, historical precedents for judicial activism, and whether progress requires state intervention for it to be realized. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe and consider joining us. On to the show. So, yeah. like, right. <laughs> okay, well, well, first of all, I'll just say I'm really excited about this because I don't know what to expect. And um, we've, we've only rarely had two outside guests before. I think we've only done it twice. And this is the first time ever in Wisdom of Crowds history that we have two outside guests who may or may not disagree with each other significantly. And I actually don't know how much disagreement there is. And that makes an episode like this, I think, a lot of fun that we're going to find out and see what happens. And we are talking about um, a pretty intense, sensitive topic, um, the future of abortion politics in the U.S., um, what happens after the Dobbs ruling, which has consumed American public debate mm. in recent weeks. Um, Michael, we wanted to have you on because you wrote a really interesting piece on your Substack, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes and i won't try to summarize it um but I, I guess i could say that you tried to offer up a grand compromise it was a very ambitious piece where you basically were attempting to resolve the abortion problem for America's future and to find the compromise that could potentially bring folks from both sides. And then we also have, uh, and I should say, Michael, and um, that you come from a very interesting perspective because you were Obama's faith outreach director in the 2012 election. So you are a loyal Democrat, but also, I suppose, an evangelical of some sort. But yeah, you maybe sure. tell us more about that in a moment. And we also have Jane Koston of the New York Times. And part of why we wanted to have both of you on is because you guys had an exchange on Twitter about your article. And I think Jane had some concerns about whether or not your grand compromise was feasible. But before we get into all that, maybe just lay out for listeners um, the case that you're trying to make. Yeah. So, right. So part, part of the reason why you write something like that is... Uh, be because it's it's not sort of uh, the the most likely course of action, you know. Like the the piece is in response to a, a few kind of facts as I take them. One that Dobbs uh, uh, introduced a heightened level of precarity uh, for both sides of the debate at the same time, and that uh, sort of where we go from here the the scope of 
potential pathways is as wide as it's ever been. Like the worst case scenario for uh, just politically speaking, sort of the pro-life camp and the pro-choice camp are like on, on the table now when, that, when both haven't been on the table and, and arguably in the same way in arguably 50 years. It's also responsive to the, what I saw as a real imbalance between Democrats' rhetoric following Dobbs and what they were actually putting on the table. And we could talk about that more. Uh, and then finally, it's responsive to the fact that, you know, the Dobbs opinion uh, explicitly cites this idea that I think is correct, which is that, uh, I mean, I just think it's factual that Roe took this debate out of the hands of the legislature and sort of democratic debate and sort of uh, intervened uh, uh, before that debate could could fully take place and before a democratic decision could could be made. And so it was interesting seeing the responses after Dobbs. It was like, what executive actions are on the table and how might the courts, you know, state courts step in. Uh, and so after 50 years of sort of the uh, uh, federal legislation being mostly off the table, uh, uh, after Dobbs, we, you know, most of the political chatter was uh, legisl legislation was off the table. So what I, what I tried to do is really basically a thought experiment, which is to reassess what the post-Dobbs landscape looks like and put a number of levers that have long been on the table, but might be um, um, one or both sides may be more open to using them than they had been in the past, or uh, measures that weren't previously on the table. And so it looks like setting a, f a floor uh, of uh, abortion rights nationally. Now, it, it, well, let me, let me say one thing before I sort of um, this is not my ideal policy plan. That's not what that's not what this is. Uh, this is a thought experiment about what might possibly a uh, be able to achieve through some sense of, of rational engagement, uh, 60 votes in the Senate or at least a majority in the Senate and, and have a majority vote in the Senate uh, and then be something that. Uh, has the potential to move the abortion debate off of the front burner of our politics. So, so that's a caveat. This is not sort of my ideal policy plan, but a thought experiment about what the post-Dobbs landscape makes possible. And so the, what it looks like, uh, and these are sort of, you don't need to take all of the sort of uh, options, but, but what I lay out is uh, a floor for abortion rights. Uh, so that would mean overturning uh, state laws that, uh, uh, that ban abortion uh, uh, at a weak limit before what the floor would be. Uh, a uh, a post-viability abortion, uh, abortion ban, so that would overturn, I think it's six states that allow abortion post-viability. And just so listeners understand, yeah, sure. post-viability means what in practice? Well, so... so What's the range, let's say? So typically it means after 24 weeks, there was a, there was a vote... Uh, on a 20-week ban that I, I believe Bobby, Bob Casey voted for, maybe a couple other Senate Democrats voted for. Some pro-lifers suggest that 22 weeks is is more of a, a, a based on sort of modern science and, and health that 22 weeks is is a better viability guideline. But but you know post viability and, and then you know the, the legislative process you know would would work out what what that is but that's a a, a ban that would rein in 
the the six or so progressive states that that allow uh, abortion beyond that uh hide so banning uh 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 codifying hide i think a lot of people think hide is like a it is a law but the hide acts as a as a rider so hide has to for keep layman, on being approved for the layman what um Hyde, basically, the Hyde basically would, for, for Hyde needs to be included in new spending measures for Hyde to apply. Um, uh, and so the, the, when people talk about repealing Hyde, what they what they mean is uh, basically not not renewing Hyde or stripping Hyde off of. Off and of and Hyde is using measures. federal funds for federal abortions. funds for abortion. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. That's right. Um, and there are, there are, depending on the iteration of Hyde, there have been exceptions so that federal funds can be used in certain cases. But, but yeah, basically. Uh, so uh, Hyde, conscience clause protections, which have long been uh, 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 an issue of debate, particularly in the row landscape. Conscience protections were a, 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 a signature issue for pro-life community. And then was some kind of additional contraception mandate for the pro-choice side, you know. So Cory Gardner, infamously in his Senate race, put over-the-counter contraception on the table as a counter to Mark Udall, sort of uh, uh, attacking him for his stance on the HHS contraception mandate. Uh, is there a package where uh, uh, you know some uh, increased? or ease contraception access is valuable in the post-Dobbs landscape. I think there are other sort of levers, pregnancy discrimination, kind of more, more aggressively prosecuting that and, and having stronger laws around that, but, but that's the basic concept. It, and and the, we, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but, but the basic idea is um, uh, in order to uh, both sides, I think, understand, uh, and I hate using both sides language, but you, you uh, sort of pro-choice yeah. pro advocates and pro-life advocates, uh, I think, understand that this can, uh, that we are now in a potentially a zero-sum sort of situation. And so do you, do you try and corral that so that the, sort of the, the range of possibilities in the post-Dobbs landscape on a national level are not zero sum but to you sort of put put uh, sort of boundaries on what what can happen at the state level going forward you also just to, to clarify you did say also a ceiling right so so it's That's both right. a, a floor and a ceiling in That's a sense right. i just want to drive this home because one of the things that that struck me about your piece is both sides lose ultimately and the zero yes. something the goal is to make all like both sides ultimately have to concede their most pure points I, yeah. That was, I think, the the logic behind your piece, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah and just right. to clarify, you do say in your piece about an eight to fifteen week range. Yeah. But, so, t can you say about like what that range actually? Did you said earlier that post viability is usually seen as somewhere around twenty two to twenty two to twenty five weeks? What would eight to fifteen weeks be? Yeah. So uh, that at fifteen would go. Uh, uh, a couple weeks beyond the first trimester i have to say like right so i think so in then order, the in, so, order mm. in order to get more than the votes of susan collins and murkowski you're looking at an eight-week floor or maybe a 10-week floor um f 15 so uh something like and forgive me i don't have the numbers in front of me but but the vast vast majority of abortions take place in the first trimester and so it's this this is why like it's a 
Um, so, so what you'd be, what you'd be, um, uh, so this is one reason why there is a stronger rationale, I think, for Democrats. So, so it, let's say that this happened. This would be something like uh, uh, all every single Senate Democrat saying we're we in order to protect. Uh, these would be their words in order to protect women in Alabama and Mississippi uh, uh, and Louisiana and Texas we're we're willing to accept limits that we hadn't been willing to accept before because outside of that and you know legislating through the courts uh, uh, there's no other plan to to have in-state access so that would be the rationale and then on the Republican side you'd have Collins, Murkowski, and uh, there are at least 10 Republican senators who represent states that um, that uh, allow, that have 15-week or higher uh, 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 laws that, that allow abortion up okay, to 15 so to be, weeks or further. So to be or, clear, or, or then further. you're basically calling for um, a yeah, congressional... Yeah, just want to be clear, I'm not calling. No, no, what <laughs> yeah, you're proposing yeah, yeah. is yeah, a thought yeah. experiment. Yeah, so right. this is a congressional... Con compromise where um, abortion would be legalized until around 15 weeks. That's more or less what you're talking about here. I, I think it would be from, uh, so I, I, I have real doubts that 15 could pass in the Senate as currently constituted. I mean, so right, so uh, I have doubts about any of this actually becoming law, but I, the, the lower you make the limit, the floor, the more likely, um, the more likely that you'll get Republicans like Pat Toomey uh, to, uh, yeah. to consider something like this. So, Jane, why is this not going to work? Because it's just not going to work. <laughs> I, I want to back up a little bit because I think it's worth getting at. Uh, you made the point that most abortions in America take place within those 15 weeks. But for and for many people, even just that is anathema. And I think it's important to recognize. I, th I, I agree in some ways that Roe in some um, acted as a mute in some ways on having this conversation, having this debate in a more democratic means. Um, I also think that Roe itself acted as a compromise. The compromise was Roe. Um, it did, you know, states did have trigger laws. States did have limitations and waiting periods and ultrasound laws. States did create numerous hindrances to abortion. And some states did that and some states did. But like that was the comp. We were existing in the compromise state already before Dobbs. It was harder than it had been previously for women to get an abortion or, um, you know, we heard about folks having the travel before this happened and so i think like the compromised state we were kind of existing in and for many people they were already deeply unhappy with it because i think that it's also worth getting at that i think that there is i mean every community has how they talk to people outside of that community and how people talk about that these issues inside the community <clears throat> and i think that for folks who oppose abortion the idea is that abortion will be abolished. Abortion, there will be no more abortions, none at all. And I think that now you're at a point in which I do not see what their motivation is to compromise. Um, I grew up in um, Catholic and evangelical circles, um, uh, which is a strange thing to say because my parents are both like super liberal Catholics of the Dorothy Day model. Um, 
and uh and yet you know i believe my effort to rebel against them was to like hang out a lot on the evangelical internet do not recommend <laughs> bad times um but i think that when you know i i told this i had an email exchange with national reviews kevin williamson and i wrote about this for the times that like when you are telling the outside world that oh all we want are you know european abortion laws and i think we saw a bunch of those memes going across about like how europe has you know way stricter abortion laws than we do and like one eh, that's not true um because of the Hyde amendment because of you know what our healthcare system looks like it's just not that also that if you told students for life like you said you know we wanted to abolish abortion but now you're getting french abortion law you're not going to be happy with it i do not think that if you believe that abortion is murder it does not get less murdery at 14 weeks or 12 weeks or even six weeks um if you believe that it is murder the moment a fetus is conceived it doesn't get less so at a certain point and so i think that the challenge to a compromise is that there needs to be motivations to compromise um and i think that for you know there would need to be i'm reminded actually and this is a example that i'm sure people who oppose abortion would be very supportive of but people who are supportive of abortion rights would hate but i would i've been re-watching um ken burns's the civil war um which is a normal thing people do <laughs> and i'm i i keep thinking about how um there was you know in that um, in that documentary, there's the late historian Shelby Foote, and he keeps talking about how, you know, de the democratic process failed because there was no ability to compromise. And I said out loud to my spouse, compromise on what? Like, if, you know, the, and you saw this um, with both uh, England, France, and Russia, weirdly enough, we're thinking like, okay, we need to get involved. We need to get negotiate, we need an armistice, and we need to negotiate some sort of settlement between the two, between the North and South. And if you believe that abortion is murder, as many people do, and then I don't really see what the compromise is on that, unless you are and you are arguing externally. I think that there are lots of people who would say, mm. that, like, we'll be fine with a 15-week ban, but they are not, in fact, fine with a 15-week ban. They actually mm. believe that abortion is murder, and they are telling you what you believe they believe that you and the American public want to hear. The polling on these issues is not i mean abortion polling is incredibly complicated and i think that it provides so much material for all sides of this debate while yeah. while more, more showing that americans are complicated people <laughs> um and we see repeatedly that there are instances in which people are like well i'm okay with this happening but not in this and hypotheticals get involved but i you know if you read a lot of folks who oppose abortion there's it's not that they don't support no exceptions in the case of rape and incest it's that they know that that polls badly it is an entirely um i think straightforward ideological project to believe that abortion is murder full stop and that all abortions should be abolished it is just politically unfeasible but that does not mean that people who believe that are going to stop believing that or stop attempting to make that reality in the states in which they have power and now that this issue has returned to the states where i i keep being you know i um 
had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with David French in which he was like, you know, I think that this will really cool down the conversation. And I'm like, yes, state laws where things get chill. <laughs> yeah, right. We yeah. all calm down and take a break. And then we all look at Alabama's abortion laws. Um, I, I also want to say that one of the things here, and I, I keep emphasizing this point, is that the mute that Roe put on this debate on the democratic level, a debate that other countries had, like France had this debate somewhat in the late 1960s, the 68ers had this whole conversation, Simone de Beauvoir put, you know, while she was also supporting the rights of adults to have sex with children, she also was talking about abortion rights. Like this, these debates have been happening in other countries. We've seen recently in Mexico um, and in El Salvador, these conversations happening. But I also think that the, the benefit, well, it's not, no longer a benefit of Roe, is that it permitted everyone involved a type of maximalism. Because anything is possible when nothing is going to change. <laughs> and so the people who had roughly 50 years to argue and argue uh, through the courts, argue through church culture such as it exists, argue in, uh, in any other means that abortion is always murder, well, you know, now you're, you need to answer a lot of questions. If abortion is murder, what should be the punishment for a woman who has an abortion? If abortion is murder, why would 15 weeks be okay? Like, like 14 weeks, oh, it's very different for some reason. And so I think that that type of maximalism is a privilege that I think that specifically folks who oppose abortion have now lost. Mm. And I think the challenge with your compromise idea is that it is not like this is not an issue in which you can just add the add the two and divide by two and then you're done. This is an issue in which you are going to have a host of people who have very you know who believe that abortion is murder. They have voted as if abortion is murder. They have voted for people who also said abortion was murder. Now, were they saying that in the same way that you're going to like promise your sixth grade class a pizza party? Yes, probably. But now that they are going to be held to those votes. And, you know, if you're a Democrat, and especially because uh, just as we've seen um, the loss of anti-abortion or anti-pro-choice uh, Republicans, we've seen the loss of, in general, of anti-abortion Democrats, what on earth is their motivation to compromise on these specific issues? Especially because every single, like when, when you're talking about like post-viability abortions, I can think of at least two friends of mine who have had to make that horrifying decision and did not want to. And that was something that I would sooner like lie down in front of a bus than get like the state involved in those concerns. And I, I, I think that abortion, and I'm, I, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation, but I think that the challenge here is that there are people for whom abortion is an issue and there are people mm. for whom abortion is a detail or a facet or this a moment of their lives in which something changed very profoundly or in some for some people it stopped some a, a part of their life from changing profoundly and i think that to think about abortion in the way that we talk about so-called wedge issues hmm. is i think does a disservice to the actual conversation and so you know my response to you was essentially like if this were how politics works in like hypothetical world no a compromise you know you could imagine that because i'd say 70 percent of americans have kind of the weird you know they keep making the um 
like just awkward uncomfortable faces about the issue of abortion you know they kind of have that like i don't like it but i think it should be legal and specifically legal in these cases but i don't like it but if you bring up these other cases then they're okay like it's it's complicated and we've seen that reflected over the last couple of weeks if they were in charge of our politics well our politics would be very different than it is now but they are not and be that maximalism has existed for long enough that now we have generations of politicians who are aware that yes they might represent states that are you know that are you know more purple i would say on the issue of abortion but they were nominated but in primaries by people who are not and i think that the impetus towards compromise the drive towards compromise particularly when you are asking people to compromise on something that one they believe wholeheartedly but also they've had 50 years in which their belief has been supported and you know gently eased along and then saying like actually it's time for politics it's time for compromise i just i just don't see that happening i mean i I know that you are not actually i know that you don't think that this would actually pass but i think that moreover i think it's important to recognize on this specific issue that this is not a general political issue this is not the debt ceiling this is not keeping the government funded this is something that for many people um has been part of their lives and is front of mind and i think that we we need to recognize that compromise for many people will mean that you know you can compromise and feel like you've won but this would be a compromise in which everyone would hate it and think they lost right well before let me just say you know the the when shadi and i thought of having you both on the whole idea was we'd just like lay back and and, and let you guys go at it and and episode done so i mean i do want to let you know we have ideas too but we have ideas too (laughs) you know i i I, jane i just wanted to just sort of uh not really push but just sort of tease apart some things that then maybe makes engagement uh easier so we we sort of get on this um totally agree on the on the sort of what you know how how the the uh the stakes have risen on this i mean I, i think that's that's absolutely right and the fact that this has now become a question of competing rights is what really right. leads into this kind of thing. What I find compelling about Michael's thing is that is precisely what you find, and I think rightly so, the problem is you have to lose on rights, which is right. like a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and that's very politically difficult. My, my intuition is, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, is that, and I, I wrote like a, a short piece for the Wisdom of Crowds site on this, is that, that in fact, like the fact that now Republicans, the the dog has caught the car in a right, way, which, which is something I keep saying. Like they're kind of fucked, though. Like it, I mean, I think I mean there's a reason why you are seeing a host of people in response to like so quote unquote edge cases, basically being like it didn't happen, and if it did happen, we're just going to move on quickly from it. But I do think like when you have an issue, which you have been saying like if you just keep voting, we'll get the judges and we'll do this thing, yeah. and you do that for fifty years, and then you get the thing. There very much is a sense like this is the greatest accomplishment of the conservative movement. Yeah. Also, what do we do now? No, I, I get that, but so you know the 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 reason why I think they might kind of be fucked, which is and which is why I, I I like Michael's argument on this is that that as you were alluding to in all the polling, it's very complex, right? Mm-hmm. And it's 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 not clear. And in fact, one way we'll find out how clear it is, you know. Never mind the mechanics of Michael's grand pro- uh, compromise. It's more that even if you take that as some sort of let's let's be in fantasy land that this will happen. I suspect that what he's getting at is well, where we'll get after like 
10 to 15 years of horror of just like really nasty ping ponging back and forth. And you're right. A bunch of Republicans have been elected at this point, have been elected by constituencies, been told pizza parties coming to kindergarten. We're going to deliver. And guess what? They're going to get slaughtered because someone more moderate will be able to actually capture that that silent, confused and sort of uneasy part. So my intuition on this is that why I like Michael's thing is that for everyone who feels that this is and this is going to sound really horrible, but like for everyone who feels that this is such a, you know, uh, like you said, it's it's not an issue like taxes. And I, I get it. I don't want to minimize it. But Michael's insight is like both sides need to lose. And that means like actually both sides need to relinquish this idea that this is a right. There is no right to life and there is no right to privacy ultimately is what it comes down to. Wow. And so, and so, I really am. Um... <laughs> So I, so anyway, but never if mind. If that happens, you know, if that happens, I um I didn't think that we could just imagine a brave new world in which that took place. I didn't know that was if there that's a possibility. I am happy to have I just that I think that you are not going to get a point like I, I keep I I'm aware that I just keep saying like they won't and no they won't. Yeah, but yeah. they won't and no they yeah. won't. Yeah, so let me just one note on the policy side, and then I want to get to the politics. Uh, on the policy side, uh, and obviously we can return to the policy, but uh, just to put a finer point on it, for, for Republicans, it is um, it is the, the dog who caught the car. It is, um, if, if they screw this up, you, this isn't something you revisit after a after uh, the next election and say, oh, we're going to take in. No, if if a Democratic consensus emerges that the post-Dobbs landscape is untenable, it's done. The pro-life movement is done. It's prohibition. You're not going back. And so the, the judgment would be, look, we could lock in the pro-life movement. We could lock in uh, limitations on abortion that six months ago couldn't imagine we could lock in the idea that uh while abortion may be legal it is not something to to be uh, um, subsidized by the federal government it's not something that we want more of which is what subsidizing is for uh we provide uh a, a legal sphere of protection for those in society who don't want any part in abortion it's not an abortion ban but it's something and Republicans leverage potentially if they if they win the midterms, then their political leverage will be higher. But I think historically speaking, uh, it's it's safe to bet like they're at the peak of their leverage now. Some of these states overrule the abortion bans. Uh, the state Supreme Courts read abortion rights into their state constitutions if uh, if there are surprise elections in some of these state legislatures and all of a sudden Republicans are losing uh, leverage in places where they think that they'll be able to put in more ban, then all of a sudden you start to see the tide turn and Republicans have less, much less negotiating power. So, so th- th- that would be just to put a little more. Uh, I, I agree. It's not it's not going to convince uh, Susan B. An- Susan B. Anthony list and Family Research Council are going to absolutely hate this <laughs> like that. Like they're going to absolutely hate it. And a lot and, of voters in primaries to and be a fair, lot right? of voters in primaries. And, and to be fair, I have that's why I call this a thought experiment. I have serious reservations about in at, at this time right after Dobbs uh, going straight to a 
uh, national legalization of abortion rights. I think there's an argument that, well, well actually, let's maybe society will find uh, that um, that's 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 not the way we want to approach approach this problem. Maybe we'll see. I mean, we could get to that discussion. I do want to make some political points, which is regardless of whether this will pass, putting forward something like I lay out in the thought experiment uh, is undoubtedly better politics for Democrats. Undoubtedly. And, and the, the um, one way you could see this is it's been really interesting to see the almost reversion to, I don't think it works anymore given where the party has moved, but the reversion to almost like 2006 style rhetoric about abortion rights. So lifting up extreme cases, uh, lifting up uh, 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 the right to privacy. Right to privacy has not been the central argument of the pro-choice advocacy community since 2014. That, that That has not been the focus. But all of a sudden it is again. Now the problem is, uh, uh, the Democratic Party has moved on from that rhetoric. So President Biden says uh, the day the Dobbs decision drops that uh, it was it was a uh, it was an awful decision because it upset the balance of Roe. Well, he th- that would be a legitimate argument for him to make had he not spent the last couple of years with his press office issuing statements about how they wanted to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, which would upset the balance of Roe. Uh, he previously, uh, uh, prior to the Democratic primary, he uh, he uh, made parallel. He he said, "I support Roe v. Wade because the government should not be imposing a view on the country on this issue." And he said, "That's the same reason why I support the Hyde Amendment to because to have federal funding involved with abortion." Well, wouldn't it have been something if on the day Dobbs dropped? He could have said, look, I stood up to the far left of my party and told them I would not reverse my position on Hyde for just this moment. So I could say that I held the line and I rejected the extremes and I'm standing up for Roe just as I stood up for Hyde and for those who didn't want their conscience violated by. uh, But they they can't do that. So this is an argument for Jane, though. Same sort of thing, right? That that Republicans and Democrats have painted themselves into a corner. So so. So, right. So if Republicans were to put forward legislation right now that said um, legalize abortion in cases of rape and incest uh, and, and, and life of the mother uh, and uh, maybe include uh, pregnancy discrimination and maybe Romney's, you know, child uh, text, uh, Democrats would be completely undercut. Like completely undercut. But fortunately for Democrats, Republicans would literally never do that. Well, they would never do that, which is why Democrats should step in. <laughs> right. I, which I, is why Democrats should step in and say, uh, actually, we're, we're not. Republicans are telling you we, we want a, a, a country that, uh, uh, that celebrates abortion. We want a, uh, uh, that we don't see any moral element to this issue. Uh, we are advancing. We'll fight about other issues later on. But this is a 75% bill to 
to offer basic protections and make Republicans vote against it. Make Republicans vote against an eight. Now, the reason why Democrats won't do that is because they won't be able to use it as effectively in midterms. It'll be much harder to mobilize the public to legalize abortion up to 24 weeks if Democrats already uh, legalize it up to eight or 15. And that's what the, that's the key reason why Democrats wouldn't advance legislation on the very cases that they're talking about. I mean, it's it's Joe Biden is not talking about uh, a 20 week abortions right now. He's talking about underage uh, and, and, and life of the mother. Well, uh, OK, well, well, then why don't you do something about that rather than Elizabeth Warren, who is supposedly laying out the roadmap for Democrats right now, uh, focusing on shutting down crisis pregnancy centers. That so, doesn't seem to be the most pressing pressing item so, post Dobbs, unless you're catering to advocacy groups so, and not the women you you say that you're fighting yeah, so, for. So on the on the politics, it does seem to me to be self evident that it's better to talk about abortion as safe, legal, and rare the way that the Clinton administration talked about in the 90s than to where we are now, where more and more Democrats are talking about abortion as if it's a social good. And I think this is one of the key sticking points. And um, and I'd be curious, Jane, what you think about this. Um, is there anything inherently wrong about saying, yes, we're pro-choice, but we don't think abortion is a good thing from a moral perspective, and we shouldn't necessarily encourage it as a social good. Why can't we go back to some of that rhetoric that seemed to actually have the support of something resembling a consensus? And that was why that phrase safe, legal and rare became so common and relatively uncontroversial among Democrats at that point. Because it did seem to be a middle ground. Um, you can stay pro-choice, but you don't celebrate abortion. And I'd just be curious why you think that's untenable right now. Well, I think that the challenge here is that we are not necessarily talking about Democrats writ large or even Republicans writ large. We are talking about the specific constituencies that are deeply enmeshed in this issue and also people who vote on this issue. And again, like that, you know, one of the great challenges of politics is that if people... If the people who cared about the most about the issue were also reflective of how most people feel about the issue, our politics on most things would look very different. <laughs> but I think that for many people, like let's let's go back to the early 1990s at the same at the same time that we're talking about safe, legal, and rare, we are seeing you know the murder of Dr. George Tiller. We're seeing like Operation Rescue, and we're seeing like what you know the they you know people who deeply uh, oppose abortion did not respond to safe, legal, and rare with, huh, okay. That sounds, they were like, no, 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 it's murder. And, you know, if you go back to, and I'm aware that, like, referencing extremist movements always gets people very annoyed, but I think it, it's worth getting at, like, when you have an issue like this, um, if I'm allowed to bu absolutely butcher a Ronald Reagan quote, you have it a sense that extremism in defense of, in this case, life as you see it is no vice and i think that what you what you're seeing now is that when when democrats said la safe legal and rare republicans responded with let's make it increasingly more difficult to get an abortion let's make it so that the safety is 
kind of questionable. The legal is eh, a little dubious. And the rare is that's the only piece here. And I think that I'm reminded of um, there was a piece a couple of days ago in National Review that was talking about how um, abortion should be, um, you know, un- like untenable, unthinkable and illegal. And I was like, I think you can do one of those. And even then, that's a little questionable. I just think that like the politics has shifted, especially as the issue became one where there are people who vote just on issues of abortion, but those tend to be people who oppose abortion. And I also think that, you know, one of the challenges you have with this particular issue is that I, you know, when you are talking about limitations to abortion, I, and you know, this is why it's so hard. I can think of a billion reasons why, like the, you know, yes, but yes, but yes, but what about, what about, what about? And I think that for many people on this issue, and again, I think that that's, that's the challenge that Roe offered is that you had people for whom, you know, if you talk to folks who are in the pro-choice movement, they basically, they saw the overturning of Roe coming like 20, 25 years ago. Um, if you read uh, Rebecca Traister in New York Magazine, she's been talking about this a lot. And I think that what those people saw is that safe, legal, and rare was a canard. That it was basically handing this issue over to the people who oppose abortion the most and who wanted to make it so that, you know, it just gets less safe less legal and more rare and i think that the challenge here i mean there are a lot of challenges here um but among them is that rhetorically i think that what what, you know that idea of safe legal and rare probably mirrors where most people are on this issue but i think that the challenge is that they have not I mean, as, as Roe acted as a mute on the issue, they have not been able to vote in this, this manner. You know, we've seen on this particular issue and a host of others that the polarization has, you know, as I mentioned, there are, there's the last pro-choice Republican left Congress a couple of years ago. There are no, I mean, unless you're counting Biden himself, there are no anti-abortion Democrats, very much so. Um, Quayar. Yeah. No. <laughs> that, <laughs> and just 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 so people are aware, that's the so that's the only member of Congress uh, who is I pro-life think, and a Democrat left. I think Colin Peterson left. Yeah. Uh, is is uh, is on his way out. He didn't yeah. stand for re-election, so Colin Peterson, right. Quayar, there might be there might be a couple. Yeah. So right. one out of hundreds. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I think that you know. We're not talking about, I, you know, it would be easier to have this conversation if Congress were more representative of the opinions of the American populace, but it is not. And I also think that the American, you know, the American populace is, it's complicated for most people, especially because any number of people can think about like, what about this instance? What about this instance? Like it, you know, you can, in some cases you can call it simple hypocrisy and, but you can also talk about how like, this is a very complicated issue for people. And I also think that there's a sense from Democrats that you cannot give, I mean, clearly you cannot give Republicans an inch because if you are attempting to appeal to, you know, to the American populace while Republicans spent 40 years appealing to the courts, um, you know, clearly, you know, how, how that happened, you know, let's see what happened. Um, I also think though that, um, one thing that gets me is 
that this is going to be an issue in which there are so many bills, you know, going back to, uh, I think someone mentioned prohibition. And one of, one of the many issues, I mean, one of the many issues of the Volstead Act is that in, enforcement of the Volstead Act was done at like the state and local level. And Can there you were say sta- what that is? The Volstead Act was the act that prohib- prohibited the sale of alcohol in the United yep. States from 19- January 1920 until I believe January 1934. I think it's the, um, the repeal of prohibition took... W- it's amazing with looking back that it was a constitutional amendment that everyone was like, yes. And then like 12 years later, they're like, no. Um, but enforcement looked very different on state to state level because the Volstead Act was in part aimed at immigrant communities in large cities. But there were lots of states that had already gone dry. And you can almost see a parallel here where you have, um, for instance, Wyoming uh prohibited the sale of alcohol like in the 1880s i believe um someone will fact check me on this if they have not yet but like you know you had a number of states where for whom prohibition didn't really change anything at all and then you had places like new york and elsewhere in which prohibition what you know use up essentially the purposeful poisoning of thousands of people and you know where prohibition had this massive impact on the lives of everyday people and so I think that what we're going to see here and, you know, about your, you know, we're going to have 10 to 12 years of horror is that it's not just about um, thinking about this at the congressional level. What abortion law looks like now is going to differ not just state to state, but county to county, because some some like county level prosecutors will not enforce old abortion bans because there are abortion bans that were on the books from, you know, the 19th century that will now that are now supposedly going to be enforced some prosecutors won't some prosecutors will and i think that what it's going to look like here is that it's going to be this very muddy patchwork of what abortion law looks like and i think that that makes it challenging for uh, again for politicians and that there are going to be politicians who are like oh i thought this was going to have such a big impact on, on my district but nothing's changed nothing really happened has really happened you, you've seen the strongest statements against jobs coming from politicians who are in states where abortion rights have already been kind of enshrined in the state constitution. I am I'm kind of interested, and I think a lot of conservatives are interested in what Ron DeSantis does in Florida, uh-huh. in which you have, you know, I, if I remember correctly, the Florida Constitution has a right to privacy, um, but we'll see what the Florida State Supreme Court has. But you have a you have a populace that is largely supportive of abortion rights, but a governor whose political ambitions require him to not be. And so I think you're going to see like that's why I, I you know I think that the- isn't that a case for optimism though? Let me just jump on on DeSantis. That for me, I mean, I, I literally was tweeting about this because exactly my point about the dog that caught the car, right? Right. Like they've caught it, and now the politician that has ambitions to do something bigger is screwed because he's got a rabid core and he's got ambitions that are either national or a state that he has to navigate that is actually not the core and obviously i mean this is happens in politics all the time but on this issue because it's so powerful and so acute because of it's it's a rights issue it 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 takes it to another level i mean i'm watching the desantis thing with a lot of interest because i suspect if he perhaps feels like he has to bow to his extremists uh flank he's really going to pay the price i mean i think that i feel as if in general i don't think anyone pays the price for anything anymore um like the like especially in politics basic it it seems to me that you can do pretty much anything and 
you know, what's that, the former Louisiana governor who said something about, like, the only way I'm going to get yes, out of yes. office is uh, with dead a boy. dead boy or yeah. a live girl. That's right, that's right. Um, yeah. Being caught in bed with a dead boy or a live or dead girl <laughs> yes. or a live dead boy. boy. That's that it. is yeah. a complicated <laughs> sentence to try and say. But I think that what you're going to see, though, is that, you know, and again, this is the complications of, of politics, is that his as you said, extremist flank, those are the people who vote in primaries. The people, I mean, we could get into a whole separate conversation about how the primary system basically encourages any sort of extremism. But like, if you are those voters, you cannot like have this person who is seeking national ambition as like the ideal Republican nominee and have that person appear to be wishy-washy on the thing that you vote Republican for. I'm not saying that DeSantis won't bow to it. Uh, I'm just saying that if he bows to it, I think we may see a healthy thing develop. That's all I'm I'm so, throwing out well, there. So I, I and if he to, if he bows to it, and the alternative is a Democrat who sounds reasonable to the majority of the American people, then he'll pay for it. Mm. If he doesn't, if he if he quote unquote bows to it, and the alternative is no, we want to enact, uh, we want to codify Roe, although apparently the latest talking points uh, sent around say don't we don't talk about codifying Roe anymore. But if we legalize abortion rights and pass what the WHPA would call for, which is uh, uh, overriding state level restrictions, then, yeah, the the 15 percent of voters who are really motivated by this issue hmm. on the left, they'll 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 so, be really upset about DeSantis. But, but the others, I, the others I, might say, eh, but so I also think inflation. that like what you're motivated by shifts and changes. I think that, um, you know, we're, we're I, I we're not that far removed from an era in 2003, 2004, in which like a big issue was getting a constitutional amendment to ban same sex marriage, which is I, 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 on the long things have been lost to the mists of time. Um, the host of people who supported that in 2003, 2004, 2005. And then, you know, the second after Obergefeller, we're like, it's a state issue. I'm a libertarian on it now, which I'm like, cool. Cool. Great to hear. But um, I think that this is one in which you are going to have, there are lots of people who will not be, like, the polling is not reflective of how people will actually vote on this. And I also think that asking people to, you know, look, people are aware that that many people, for instance, would want even in states that have banned abortion, they would want exceptions for rape and incest and for the life of the mother. But a lot of states, one, have removed those exceptions. And also there are a host of people who are like, no, we, d- we mean abolish. We mean this each time. And I think like what, what we're trying to work our way around is that this is an issue in which many millions of people have been touched by the issue of abortion in many ways. And yet the people for whom it has become a driving force have generally been on what I think we would say are kind of like the wings of it. However, there are people who they they didn't think about this that much. And then this happened and now they are shifting and moving and we'll we'll see what happens with that. But I think that it's just it's it's complicated. (laughs) That's it for the main episode, dear listeners. In the second half of the show, we press Michael and Jane about the roots of their convictions, historical precedents for judicial activism, and whether progress requires state intervention for it to be realized. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe and consider joining us. Hope to see you in the bonus.
Thank <laughs> you.